Hello, hello, and welcome once again to the American Scouser podcast. Uh, we unfortunately have um, to start our podcast with more sad news. Um, unfortunately, the football world has lost one of its greats, and um, again, just like a couple of weeks back, we lost Ray Clements. Uh, he's one of ours this time. It's um, Gerard Houllier. May he rest in peace, 73 years of age. He had six seasons with us, unforgettable travel in, in 2001. So um, without further ado, I will introduce you to Paul and Parker, who are joining us again tonight. Parker, how are you doing? Not too bad, just trying to keep keep busy. Keep on rolling. Nice yeah. to you. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Better than you, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> in case any of our listeners are out there worried, uh, um, or hear me groaning throughout the podcast. I've uh, really, really messed up my back, so I'm on strong painkillers, and I am currently lying down on the floor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's um, let's focus our attentions here on the man himself, Gerard Houllier, um, just for a moment, and then we can talk about football and matters themselves. But uh, a great manager. Um, I was born 85, so I, I grew up with um, Roy Evans and then shortly after Gerard Houllier. Um, Parker, you're obviously a, a, a younger buck. Paul, yeah, I can't um, say I remember him. Paul, were you, were you a fan of Liverpool back in those days or when did you sort of start? Yeah, so I started following Liverpool closely and like it was right around 2000. I was like 17, 18 years old. And so this was back in the day of like dial-up modems and no Premier League access. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it was like, I wish that I had a little more perspective because he was the first manager that I, I really remember, but I did not have full access to like, you know, post-game pressers, pre-game pressers like you do now. Yeah. Um, and also being young, I had real no scope of like on the spectrum um, no, no comparatives for him, um, which I think is a real shame because not only his accomplishments, but like I was listening today with a lot of the interviews, like Heskey did a great interview on NBC. Um, and it sounds like um, not only was he obviously bring Liverpool back to the top, but he was a relatively progressive man, uh, manager in the way he man managed um, very similar to Jurgen in the fact that he like wants to know intimate details of players about their family life, about their personal habits um, in, you know, obviously up until now he'd been running the sort of the scouting and player development for all the Red Bull teams. Absolutely, um, yeah. But like to hear some of the things that were said, you know, like you think, I think, and this is how I know I'm old. I think about when I started following Liverpool in 2000. 2000 doesn't sound that long ago to me, even though it's 20 years now. And yeah. to think that, like, you know, Heskey said some things. He, said, he mentioned that, like, Huye made a lot of changes to the Liverpool side that needed to be made that were, that were negative things within the club that were commonly happening in the Premier League. Yeah. Now, I, could, I don't know what that means, and he didn't really spell it out, but you can read between the lines. And to think that that type of stuff was like prevalent in the league in 2000 was surprising to me. Um, so I guess, you know, looking back at his sort of his time at our club and his, his legacy, that's what really stood out to me as somebody who knew of him, but didn't know him in the sort of broad spectrum that the older supporters will know him in. Like the fact that he was so progressive, um, obviously was, is a great fit for, for Liverpool as a city. Um, but I think it really speaks to sort of his, his longstanding legacy with the club. Yeah, you've, you've pretty much put the, the nail on the head there because he, he really was a, a good family man, a real gentle soul and wanted to know everything about everyone. And um, I'm sure everybody out there, if you haven't heard the, the Danny Murphy interview, and I know we talk a lot of smack about talk sport, blah, 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 but it was a really good interview from Danny Murphy. Um, but, you know, just like you were saying, Paul talked a lot about, like, if you came into training and you weren't smiling, he'd, he'd ask you, is everything okay? You haven't shaved today. What's wrong? Is everything okay? Anything I can do, anything I can do to help, you know, just 
seemed to be a really good guy. And, and like you were saying, Heskey, you know, you Danny Murphy, Klopp, Tomo, Daglish, Evans, Gerard, you know, all these players, all these ex-players and, and people involved with the club have, have reached out and, and gave their condolences to the family because like like we've we've said, he was just such a gentle person, such a, a great man. But speaking on that sort of Heskey talking about bringing Liverpool into the modern era, you would imagine he's talking a lot about um, sort of the, you know, the, the drinking culture. And, but he really helped to modernise Liverpool. And, you know, the 90s was a bit of a barren spell. And then, of course, the unforgettable treble, you know, the League Cup, FA Cup and UEFA Cup final against Alaves all in 2000-2001 were just fantastic and you know I'll always remember Robbie Fowler lifting those cups aloft and and I think it was Robbie Fowler and Sammy Hoopia who lifted the um, UEFA Cup aloft but um, just great memories um, everlasting memories you know and and I just wanted to take our, our time to say thanks to the man because he really did help bring us back to where we were like um, just going back to that UEFA uh, final against Alaves, 5-4. I, I don't know if you've seen the highlights of it or not, Parker, but just an absolute roller coaster of a game. 5-4, um, you know what I mean? Like, it, Babel, uh, Gerard scored one, Gary Mack got two, Farler got one. Just a, a mental game. But um, I've seen on YouTube as well, uh, LFC TV have um, posted every goal from the 2000 and 2001 season. It's also on the Fantasy Premier League app as well. So if you've got five minutes, go ahead and watch some good old school goals because you'll see Heskey, you'll see Owen, you'll see Young Gerard, all that there. So like, you can really, um, you know, take the time to appreciate what what uh, Gerard Houllier done in those years. But um, bit of homework there for you, Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when those games were actually happening, I was playing uh, the soccer where all the kids just swarm the ball like a bee's nest. <laughs> Arsenal football. Yeah, basically. <laughs> a bit um, better than that. Come on, man. Yeah. Give me some credit. <laughs> <laughs> all joking aside, though, um, he's Gerard Hulley has been in the... Um, he was in that documentary, uh, not at the end of the storm, that's the new one, but um, just a great clip of him talking about the 2005 Champions League final where, of course, it was Rafa's team. But uh, apparently Julia was in the stadium that night doing some work for, um, I, I don't know who it was, maybe it was probably UEFA or something like that. But uh, he walked into the changing rooms after the game. And, you know, usually when you walk into the changing rooms, you're kind of quiet. He said most of his ex-players and, and people that he signed and people that he developed came up to him and, and gave him a massive hug and said, boss, this is, this is your team. You know, and and Rafa obviously was the mastermind behind it, but the the cogs were were set in motion, and and the keystones were put in place by Gerard Houllier. And he said he looked back on it and he said, "Yeah, you know, twelve players that he had either signed or developed himself were in that team." So it's a a real nice touch um, that he was remembered. And that the the players off that team, off that winning squad, were able to to take a step back from their their glory, their their victory that they just tasted, and and give a, a massive shout out to Gerard Houllier, which you know just epitomizes the man he was. You know, just a real gentle soul. Didn't want the plaudits, but um, certainly deserved his fair share of the plaudits anyway. Um, but yeah, lads. Other than that, I mean. Who let the Reds out? Who, 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 Lee? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure he's up there with Ray Clements, hand in hand, talking, uh, talking about the good old days. But um, a real sad note um, for us. But uh, one thing I did pick up that uh, you might not have heard of or seen, um, I certainly didn't know it up until a few days ago. Um, that Julie apparently came to Liverpool in 1969. Uh, he lived on Faulkner uh, and taught at Allsop School. And he not only did he live in Liverpool, he went, stood on the spy on cap and, and drank in the Royal Oak. Like, so, you know, it's a real scouser at heart. 
and, and the French connection, uh, obviously. But um, I didn't know that he lived in Liverpool in 1969, <laughs> which I just thought was mental. Yeah, I saw that earlier as well. That surprised me as well. But, it's always uh, good that they, you know, have a bit of a history to him being there. You know, Klopp's obviously adapted well, but, you know, he hasn't lived in Liverpool for <laughs> years and years and years before. Yeah. And, and never mind that, taught in a, in a Liverpool school, you know. Right. But, um, yeah, thoughts and condolences go out to all the friends and family of yeah. um, the wonderful man Gerard Houllier. Um, so the, the last time we left the listeners, lads, um, we were looking at playing Fulham. And obviously a lot's happened since then, but we can cast our mind back and, and kind of talk about the Fulham game for a little bit here. Um, they've been kind of resurgent in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, they got beat against City uh, 2-0, but that's a good result for a floundering at the bottom of the league team. You know, they, they beat Leicester 2-1 only a couple of weeks back as well. So... Now that you've had time to reflect on it, lads, what's what's your what's your takeaway from the point, uh, Parker? Let's go to you first. First, I would say I don't know half hour of it. That's what really killed us. Yeah, we we didn't come out. We didn't come out guns blazing like we normally do, and I think that that is the main reason why we only came away with one. Yeah. You know, as I was watching the games throughout the weekend, as much as I am ashamed to say it, I was rooting, I was pulling for uh, United to beat City just to get that, you know, <laughs> gap a little bit wider. And they drew, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Whatever, that's fine. That's still two points lost for City. I'm cool with that. Uh, Everton beat Chelsea. I'm like, sweet. Again, not super stoked to see Everton winning but I'm a lot happier to see that gap growing Tottenham drew everything looked right for us to just first of all take first place over alone mm-hmm. and second to have a nice wide gap fortunately we didn't come away with that and again I think I'd have to blame that first half hour or so yeah, I think I think you're right. They're definitely a missed opportunity, and and even Bob said it himself. The 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 first twenty twenty five to thirty minutes, we didn't get going at all. Um, so Paul, you know, uh, taking that into consideration, do you think it's a a point gained or two lost? I mean, I think it's definitely two lost. I mean, either way you look at it, but I think. I mean, I think there's multiple reasons that that, that result happened. I, I think, first of all, you have to credit Fulham. They have a completely revamped back, back line. Completely revamped back line. They, like, none of the back four started the season back there, including their keeper. Um, so they've obviously made some really good adjustments um, and are playing better as a whole. Um, reminded me a lot of the first match of the season versus Leeds um, in the fact that they – Usually with teams, they're so busy defending our high press that we have room to work out of the back and we have time. And um, we basically just have to be concerned about being beat on the counter. Um, They sort of flipped the script very similar to Leeds where they played a really super high line. If you look at Klopp on the goal, he's like basically losing his mind because he's screaming that they have to step up in that situation. There is two huge chances for Cavalero within the first, like, 12, 15 minutes of the game where he got pushed through um, on goal. And both situations, basically, I think it was Fabinho in the first one and Robertson in the second, essentially didn't step up. And so you're seeing the result of pressure of Fulham basically playing a super high line against us. And and you got to credit a team for coming out and, and swinging like that. And that caused real problems for us. Um, so I credit Fulham for the way they set up and the way they came out. Um, but I also think at the end of the day, I think what ultimately dropped us two points is fatigue. I mean, to me, when I see players like Robertson and Fabinho not stepping up, I mean, I don't care if it's in the first two minutes of the game. I don't really put that down. I mean, it can be a lack of concentration, sure, but like when it's consistently happening for 90 minutes – I think you've just got guys whose bodies are like just at a point where they're, where they're gassed, you know, 
I can't yeah. remember Robertson looking that. Uh, Robbo just doesn't look legs like that ever. Like you, he know, was you know it's not going to be heart or devotion. That's the problem there for both 100%, of those players. 100%. Yeah, it's not like they're going to go out there and just jog around and give it a go, right? I mean, so to me, and I think the weird, the concerning thing for me is that the, the players that got rested were the ones that looked the most legged to me, which is kind of weird. Um, so, I mean, I know traditionally we bounce back at home after a poor performance really well. Um, I guess my gut feeling is it's not that this is going to be a continuing issue. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if we're going to get that big bounce back and then I'm going to have to mentally prepare for four days of ridiculousness on social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and look, you're, you're spot on. Like you, you do have to give credit to Fulham. They, they came out, they snapped on our heels from the, from the get go. And it was almost as if, you know, like nobody told Liverpool we were going to be playing a, a kind of resurgent Fulham, even though they're way down there, they have been playing better. They can't be that bad all the time. And it was the first time playing in front of their fans in nine months. So, of course, they were yeah. going to step up. Of course, they were going to, you know, bring the game to us, which, you know, fair play to them. And, and it, it highlights a, a wake-up call for us. And, you know, I'll give you a little shout-out again here, Paul, with your, um, your match ratings. It, uh, it's definitely indicative of Fulham playing well and us not up to par, whether that be because of uh, fatigue like we've touched on or the possibility of just Fulham wanting it more. Um, their keeper you know, did real well, too. Their, their keeper was, was playing really well, and that's always going to happen, especially when we're under the gun and we're, we're, we're feeling that pressure. But, um, you know, the game cried out for almost another Curtis. Curtis was a, a, great, um, a, a great spark in our midfield. And, you know, I think he's one of your highest rated players there, Paul, in your, your, your uh, player ratings. Um, he was outstanding. He had 95% pass accuracy, 103 touches, two out of three shots on target, which he should have got himself a goal there. I thought he yeah. was going to do it so bad. It was brilliant run. I almost didn't think he was making it past that first tackle, and then he just slides past him, slides past another one, and then the goal opens up, you know? Um, but, yeah, I thought, I thought Jones was a real uh, rare spark, but it, it, it was crying out for a fit ox or a, a fit nabby or, you know, possibly a Tiago or somebody of that ilk. Um, wouldn't it have been nice to have some of, some of those guys fit and ready to come on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think any, any time you're really like as good as Jones has been lately, like the last thing you want to do is be relying on Curtis Jones for the creativity, right? Or yeah. in the second half, a, a clearly still adjusting Minamino which, I mean, I know a lot of people have given up on. I still think he has, you know, despite him being small and moved off the ball easily, I still think that he has um, a lot of the intangibles that Firmino has that, that can lead to him being successful, you know, how quickly that happens or, or whether he, he makes that leap. I still believe he can do it. But, but those are not two players that you want to rely on for the spark going forward, right? Yeah. Um, moving Jordan back. Um, obviously Henderson back as a center half was a necessity, but then you lose that long ball over the top that he can give, um, from the midfield area, that long switch he can make. Um, and then you just had a front three, you know, Mane was off it. Salah was off it. Um, you know, I, you start worrying about Mane's form right now. I think it was just a perfect storm. Like a team, like if you're a Fulham, right, what you're concerned about is, beating the teams around you on the table, the mid to lower teams, you want to make sure that you can get points off those teams. And if you can do that, you're probably fine. If you roll in at home on your first game with the fans versus the, the previous champions, anything else is a bonus. So there's not a lot of pressure there to come out flying. And then you have the opening 10 minutes and you get a couple of shots on frame and you look like you're going to score that just builds confidence. Yeah. So I think it was just like the perfect storm of fatigue and confidence for Fulham and fans and in, in, a massive personnel shortage for Liverpool. Um, 
you know, and the ones that we do have fit up, uh, you know, the front freeze up there, but they're, they're just struggling to find form right now. So uh, I, th- I just think it was kind of the perfect storm altogether, but yeah, um, back to your original point. I think we all thought that Curtis Jones was going to be this really nice story this year of a uh, rotational growth player. And he is turning into uh, a fixture in the starting 11, which is, which is wild. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Parker, you're, you're closer to his age group. <laughs> what uh what do you make of his you know his um his surge into the into the first 11 like i mean like paul was saying we, we can't really place too much stress on this young man's shoulders but it seems as if he's taking it and running with it you know yeah it's it's kind of like what i talked about with trent it was either last week or a couple weeks ago that he's just very very mature for his age and you know i don't want to sound like an old man going yeah you kids get off my lawn but like for kids my age it's kind of uncommon to see that level of maturity as you know unfortunate as it is to say it's a lot rarer than you think um especially when you get thrust into having a lot of money getting fame you know it's really really easy to get off that path i'm still in the time that he grew up in as well you right know, that's that's yeah there's a lot of draws a lot of people there that could be hanging on your coattails or whatever exactly and then not to mention the fact with social media having been you know we're kind of getting into the point where social media and internet has been a part of these kids lives as long as they can remember mm-hmm. you know i'm i'm enough older than Curtis that I can say that I didn't have that and he does, but it's still like, that's a huge influence. I mean, you know, you look on his Twitter and he's got a lot of followers on it. And whether you do, if you do good, you'll get some shout outs, but if you do bad, you'll get a whole lot more. And he seems like he takes it pretty good in stride. So, I mean, he's, he's definitely doing a good job of the off the pitch kind of stuff. And then, you know, on the pitch, he seems to keep again, like a very calm head about him. You know, he seems to be in control, not, you know, let his temper and emotions flare up. Like we see with some other players, Um, you know, if he, if he keeps growing like he is, he's going to be a hell of a player one day. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's talk about the Fulham goal for a second, lads. Um, there's there, there's a few points here, and we can get on VAR yet again um, in a bit. But um, it was a good goal, wasn't it? Uh, what, what's your what's your thoughts? Push on on Mo. Was it soft, or has slow motion made it look like he's overdramatized it, or? It, a push is a push for me. In my opinion, it, it, it was a free kick. Mo was there to win that ball, and, and it, it's a free kick for me. Oh. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so, um, okay. So, for me on this play, yes, it's a foul. Um, I understand the no call, and I don't know how much of a problem I have with it. Um, I think that if – so when I watch it back, Mo, Mo tries to sell it a little bit. And I think if Mo doesn't try to sell it, I think he gets the call. But that's, that's like, that's total speculation on my part. I don't obviously, I don't know, you know, insight into Andre Mariner's psyche. Just from my perspective, it wasn't called because he saw the embellishment. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, because if you're looking for arms extended and a push, I mean, it's definitely there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I heard somebody on Sky make the argument that essentially, you know, it's okay to touch a player, um, but it's whether there's, you know, it's a, an extended push. And for me, it is an extended push. And I, I, I just think that he sees the embellishment and, and wants to play on through contact, which as I can respect that, I can respect that because, I mean, we all know what this game's look like when, when we're calling everything and you've got, you know, half the players out there just flopping around. So I totally respect the decision and get it. And then of course the strike was just like, there's, there's no stopping. And it was, it was an amazing strike. So um, foul for me. Yes. But I understand why it wasn't called. 
and I, I get both sides of the argument. Like, you know, it, he has thrown his arms out, and that's made it look like he's buying the foul. Um, and, and I've seen people talk about it online. Like, if that was given against us, we'd be raging, which I can also see. Um, but, Parker, if you think it was... Let's, let's play devil's advocate here. Do you th if you think it was an English player that went down like that, do you think that would be given a free kick? Because I seem to feel that just because it was Mo Salah, it wasn't given. Um, yeah, and I, I mean... May, I may be pushing the boat out there a little. I, I, a little bit, but, I mean, you, know, you guys know how I feel about uh, England's Lord and Savior, Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if he did it, it would have been given a foul, I think. I don't know. I... I think it was the right call made personally. You know, I think I think it was a little bit of a light push. It was still a push nonetheless, but kind of like you said before, I'd have been too pissed if that got called against us right. to I'm, say in like full con full faith. Yeah. That, you know, oh that should have been a foul, that should have been a foul. And like I said, like in, in hindsight it's easy to pick this thing apart and go, Oh, well, you know, a push is a push, blah blah blah. Uh, if it was an English player, it would have been a free kick or, you know, any of the other arguments for and against. Like, I, I can see it from, from all angles. I, I still feel... I still feel it was a push, you know. But um, regardless, that, that, that one goal doesn't um, make or break our game. Those, like you said at the start, Parker, those first 25, 30 minutes, you can't win a game in the first 25, 30 minutes, but you can certainly lose it. Mm -hmm. And... We didn't give up a whole bunch of goals in the first 25, 30 minutes. We did bounce back and, and, and rally and come go hard for the last 10 minutes of the first half and then start it again fresh in the second half. But, um, yeah, that, that goal wasn't going to be the beating of us. It just felt like it left a sour taste in my mouth anyway. We'll, we'll just <laughs> say that. Um, of course, the news broke before the game that we would be without Jota for six to eight weeks. Um, again, like we were saying, the game kind of was crying out for a, a, a fit Naby or an Ox or a Thiago. It was also crying out for a Jota. Um, throw another attacker in there, and I dare say we would have broken them down a lot easier. Um, but now we're similar to Jota. Costas has got a similar knock to Jota, and he'll be out for a couple of weeks as well. And of course... Matt up in solidarity with myself has um, back spasms. Um, so he might be rumored to be uh, fit for the Spurs game, which we're talking about Harry Kane and all the rest of it. We'll, we'll be talking about Spurs now very shortly. Um, anything else you just wanted to add on the Fulham result, lads? Paul Parker, nothing at all. Not um, for me. I just want to talk about the... Uh... Champions League draw real oh, quick yeah. between the two. Absolutely. I have it pulled up. Um, so just a few things I have in my notes here about the Fulham game. Uh, we've now scored all of our last 18 Premiership penalties and Salah has got 12 of those. So making, making a real claim for himself to be, um, to be our penalty taker. Obviously, Milner probably wasn't on the pitch for as many of those penalties as Salah was, but uh, not a great penalty. Struck with authority though yeah. and <laughs> Struck with a, a decent amount yeah. of power to beat the keeper, which he he really does just power him through, though. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a shite corner to be honest, but like yeah, I mean if it's gonna be a shite kick, you at least get something on it, though. You know, yeah. I mean so... a goal is a goal. <laughs> well, you know, a a, sh a shite penalty, like you said, and almost a shite call for a penalty as well, you know? So yeah, yeah. We were really scraping the bottom of the barrel to, to get level, but I feel yeah. like we deserved it. I feel like it, it was coming. Um, in our own little private Discord chat, Tamuchin was the one who mentioned, you know, at the end of the half, he said, this, if this half went on for five, ten more minutes, we, we would have had our equalizer, and it was certainly feeling like that. But um, we've now dropped 11 points after 12 games, lads. So this is indicative of the crazy season we've had because last season, our Premiership winning season, we didn't drop 11 points until our 35th match. Yeah. That's wild. 
So, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, that's just how bad these injuries have really uh, crippled us, no exactly. pun intended. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's leveled the playing field for sure. Uh, <laughs> it, might, uh, it might give a, a couple of chances to a few teams who really shouldn't deserve it. Um, and on that note, let's talk about Spurs for a second before we we'll talk about um, the Champions League draw and a few other little bit of news in um, social media news coming up. But um, yeah, the Fulham game was, was definitely a wake-up call. Like we've said, we missed opportunities um, to gain some ground on Spurs. But they're right up there with us. It's 25 points, I think. Um, Wednesday, lads, we, we've got to bounce back, don't we? Mm-hmm. My biggest concern is uh, further injuries. Um, there's this video floating around on Twitter of uh, Harry Kane, and people call it his uh, special Harry Kane move, where he there's an airborne there. ball. Yeah, He looks, finds whoever's on the other team going for it, just kind of gets under there and jumps up into him. Someone's going to get hurt, and someone's going to get hurt. And we can't, we really can't bad. spare any more defenders, you know? Well, that's the thing, is, like, we've been so injury-prone this year. We're going to have a lot of younger, less experienced defenders on. I'm worried something's going to happen. And, like, I'm, I, I'm trying not to be, you know, pessimist and saying, you know, oh, it's going to be horrible, it's going to be horrible. But, like, I'm genuinely concerned it's going to hit the fan. Yeah, and I, I think with all of that being in the news recently, I, I think the refs will have to look at Harry Kane and how he's almost letting a player climb up on top of him to try and buy a foul or, you know, it, it's, it's a strange one. And, and, you know, classic number nines like Alan Shearer and things like that used to do those sort of tactics, but that was back in the nineties when you could quite happily throw an elbow into a defender and keep playing. Right, that um, was within the rules then. Yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Harry Kane's um, running a, a, a tightrope right now, Paul, um, with that tactic that Parker brought up. Um, it would just be too nice to see Virgil take him on at his own <laughs> game, wouldn't it? I, I, can't, I just can't believe somebody hasn't put a knee in his kidney yet doing that. Yeah. Like, because, I mean, that, like, when I played ball – many moons ago that was a classic move and as a striker you just knew if you were going up you had you went up with one leg mm-hmm. and you had your other one out to protect yourself from that but you know if you're up high enough there's not a whole lot you can do about it but it was it the bright match that he drew a pen doing that on the outside like right on the edge of the box yeah and really really so. hurt was it on Lalana? it might i can't remember who it was he got but um i think Terrible. it was um uh, but yeah it's i mean look the spurs they're they're an interesting team because they perennially jump out and then fade down the stretch. And then you couple that with Mourinho, who has who has a tendency to have teams set up in a way where they seem to overachieve for a period of time and then come back down and settle in the middle. In my opinion, that's what I seem to see with mm-hmm. Jose yeah. teams. Yeah. Um, you're used to seeing a Spurs team with a really bright attacking mid. You know, we, we think about Christian Eriksen. We think about, De, uh, you know, Dele coming out of there. Mm-hmm. And they're not set up that way anymore. And basically, 95% of their offense goes through the combination of Son and Kane. Yeah. Um, and they're now playing with attacking fullbacks. They've got this, that kid from Real Madrid that came over um, on the left. Um. And then they play with a double pivot. So they have Hoiberg and Sissoko. So they're actually set up really defensively, um, which is not shocking. Um, no, that's, from, that's from, Jose. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Um, but, you know, they basically set up very defensively, control through the midfield double pivot, and then they have Son and Kane hit on the counter, essentially. So, um, I mean, that's something to be wary of. Um, I'll be curious about the team selection. Um, Jurgen's a mastermind. I worry a little bit that Jurgen is like, given the substitutions that I thought were very questionable this week, and the team selection before that in the in the Champions League rubber match, which I found very questionable. I worry about Jurgen Klopp managing players more than he is managing games right now. 
Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. That that's my, that's my concern because like, I understand that you have to have players healthy and I, and you have to be concerned about minutes and you have to concerned about tread on the tires, but I just, I worry whether he's making the best substitution for a positive outcome or for, for keeping players healthy. And I think sometimes those two ideas can be mutually exclusive. Yeah. And uh, look, let's be honest. Like we don't know who, which players are in the red zone, so to speak. You know, they, they talk right. about that a lot in sports science. Like, and we don't know who can handle playing in the red zone as often. You know, players like Genie and Robbo, I dare say, have a better engine than most, Milner right. excluded. Um, but, you know, we're not privy to that information. And if we were, all the rest of the teams in the Premier League would know our business as well. Um, but, you know... It, it's an interesting point you bring up because those two things are very hard to juggle. And that's why Norbert, Jurgen Norbert Klopp is the one who's getting paid the big bucks. Um, yep. But you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of heads were turned at, at those instances you brought up against Mitchell and, and, and even Fulham. Um, you know, it, it just seems a shame to miss Jota now for six to eight weeks, possibly more. I think it's I think it's 15 games he's missing in six yeah. to eight weeks, which is just horrendous anyway. Um, but look, I mean, it, it, the Spurs game is going to be a good yardstick for both of our teams, you know, uh, mm -hmm. not just for us coming up against healthy opposition, uh, uh, fearsome strike partnership who are, are tearing up the league. Um, but it's going to be a good yardstick for Spurs as well, because even though our season has been blighted with injuries, and I think we're up to 19 first-team injuries, which is just despicable. Um, Lord. But uh, despite all that, we're still up there come Christmas with, a, with a, a, a chance to regain top spot on Wednesday evening. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom. Like, we, we keep coming back to this. It's not all doom and gloom. Never, not everything's going our way, as we know, this season. But um, we're in the conversation. And, and look, like we said about not losing a game in 25, 30 minutes, you, you can't win the league at Christmas, but you can definitely lose it. And we're not, we're not there yet. We're nowhere close to that yet. So mm -hmm. if it's us and Spurs up there come April, or whenever the league's going to finish this year, um, April and May, I, I, I think we've got the, the better team, the better squad to, to get the job done over them. Um, Parker, what, obviously you're worried about Kane. Anything else yeah. on, the, on the Spurs game? And then we can move on to the uh, Champions League. I mean, as I usually say, Son is just such this dynamic player that can pull, you know, he can pull goals out of, practically nothing yeah um we just got to have our defender you know stick to him like glue because if we let him sneak through that's a goal yeah he's no question so, about it so nimble such a threat and and him and kane complement each other very well yeah but uh yeah it's all all up for grabs on wednesday at anfield so it'll be nice it'll be nice to get back home get the fans out again and, yeah. uh, and get the rally crowd going. Um, because in the Fulham game, the fans definitely played their part. Like, um, and it will for the for remainder of, of the season. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I was looking at was uh, London's going to be going into Tier 3, which I think yeah. our next away game is Palace. Which, is it Palace? Uh, either way, our next trip away won't have fans down south which is nice because, um, well, is it nice or is it not nice? Because the argument can be made both ways. Like, it, it, can, it can G up the opposition, but it can also get under their skin. So who knows? Time, time will tell. But um, yeah. as Parker, you were, you were saying, uh, it's time to talk about the Champions League draw. And as Paul mentioned as well, the massive French connection with Gerard Houllier because um, he was... Up until his his death, he was in he was the head footballer for the Red Bull Group, right, Paul? 
Yeah, for all the teams, like all the, it was just crazy to think about. And and speak speaks volumes to the man's pedigree, Jared. Yeah. Uh, yet again, um, but um, it was nice to see Leipzig pulled out of the hat, uh, not just because of that news with the connection with Jared Hulier and the fact that it's going to be you know the the Nabby Derby or you know the, uh, but um, it's the first time we'll ever play them. Uh, obviously, the team was only found in two thousand and nine, but. Um, I'm interested to see how that one plays. I don't think the draw was too bad. It could have been worse. Um, oh, yeah. We could have had Atletico, which I kind of wanted to to get Atletico, <laughs> um, just to see if we could rub or rub their faces in the fact that they knocked us out last time around. Um, how do you guys feel about the draw? I think I think we got off okay. I'd rather play Leipzig than like a. PSG this early on or something just because, you know, we don't know what the injury situation is going to look like then. Right. You know, and I'd rather, I'd rather put off the big powerhouse clubs until towards the end when there's a better chance of us having some of our heavy hitters back. Yeah. I'd say bar Bayern, we done pretty well there, Paul, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, so they open up and play ball. So, I mean, it's much better than – like, I just didn't want to see a team like the Atletico uh, or even Sevilla, a team that can be defensively – will just basically say, okay, we're going to make you break us down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'd much rather see a team that's going to open up and play attractive football like Ajax. Um, you know, they're similar. So, um yeah, definitely not not the worst draw. Uh, not the not the easiest though. I mean, they're definitely dangerous. They've got players. I mean, we usually buy them. Um, but so, <laughs> yeah. so speaking of which, isn't it uh, isn't it Upa Meccano? Is that his name? Upa Meccano plays for Leipzig, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. So that'll intensify the rumors coming up to Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, apparently, we're interested in their other center back too, Kanate. So oh, yep. sure. Why not? Yep. If you're in for yeah. one, you're in for. <laughs> And for a dozen, why not? <laughs> yeah, they are they're they are actually very similar um, yeah. in, in profile. But yeah, so yeah, there's that. Uh and those games first leg will be February sixteenth, just after uh Valentine's Day. So get your get your brownie points in early, lads. You, you never know, <laughs> you might be able to watch the game in, in its entirety. Or maybe that's just me talking. Um <laughs> and then the return leg will be March tenth. So Plenty of time to build up and talk about Upa Meccano. And what's the other guy's name, Paul? Uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Kanate, though. K-O-N-A-T-E. Kanate, or, yeah. Yeah. He so is... Uh... Plenty of time to spark those flames. Yeah. And it is silly season just around the corner. So the transfer <laughs> window will be opening up again, and we'll have to discuss all these wonderful rumors again. Um <laughs> Want Quick me to read mentions. the rest of the matchups? What's that? You want me to read the rest of the matchups? Yeah, go ahead, us? because it's, yeah. it's worth a look at. Uh, we've got up until the 10th of February to, to right. think about all these permutations. Pod on a week off or something. But yeah. So we've got Borussia Mach. I knew I was going to butcher this. Mönchengladbach yeah. playing against Man City. We've got Lazio playing against Bayern. Mm-hmm. Atletico versus Chelsea. Leipzig and us. Porto versus Juventus, Barcelona and PSG, Sevilla and Dortmund, and Atalanta versus Real. That Barca and PSG one, that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, there's a lot of tasty lineups there. Like, So now that you've mentioned that, I, I seem to have a more glass half full about our matchup. Yeah. Wouldn't you say so, Paul, as well? I yeah, mean, like, I mean, definitely, for sure. Man like, City's got a lot tougher matchup than we do i think yeah absolutely they, Germ- the germans know how to Gladbach play, you know? are such a dark horse you know there was i can't remember if it was this year or last season where they thumped on dortmund and then beat byron wow or they either beat byron or tied with them but i knew they beat dortmund because it's one of my buddies is a dortmund fan so well, I let's hope they can put a, a decent time. 
a decent dent in City in their uh, in their away fixture, and then take them home and just knock them out in the round of sixteen. That would be lovely. Yeah. But, so I mean, um, they they could do they could do quite well. Real Madrid are shaky at the minute too. Uh, yeah. So they could get knocked out as well. They were lucky to not get knocked out already. Right. Um, Bayern's pretty much clear through. Yeah. I think Chelsea and Atletico, that could be a good one, depending if, on, you know. What about our old boys at Lazio? Do, do we give them any, any chance? Not versus Bayern, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't yeah. want to be positive, but it's, no. It's fair to say Bayern are, are up there with um, – with our biggest threat this year again. Um, But yeah, it definitely, it definitely um, opens your eyes as to our fixture. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we definitely got off lightly there. I think it it couldn't have been lighter had it maybe have been Lazio, you know, maybe Lazio would be an easier fixture than Leipzig, but. We're splitting hairs at that point. Exactly. I think, okay, what if we got put against Byron? You know, with good old Mulder and Levengolski. Yeah. Just, I mean, Byron right now would tear us apart, I yeah, think. Yeah, which luckily we, we couldn't have faced Byron, right? Because they... Yeah, they're in a different yes, pot. They're, yeah. So they're as far away as possible, but nonetheless, but yeah, would not have um, been fun. It's, it's very apt, isn't it, with, um, with the Julia connection that we get Leipzig and, and not to mention the players were, were being already connected with and the transfer window hasn't even opened up yet but um, a few other quick mentions uh, have to go out this week to Harvey Elliott Harvey Elliott uh, on loan at Blackburn lads is just what do you think is there any chance we can get him back in January (laughs) 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 would you take him back in January Paul as much as I want to say yes, because, you know, I think he's great. He is kind of an example of might not have the best head on his shoulders yet, but he's only 17. And if you didn't, if you're going to try and sit here, look me in the eye and tell me you didn't say and or do really dumb shit when you were 16, you are a damn liar. Oh, yeah. Um, that said, I think that we should just leave him there the whole year. Let him develop. I think he has his development has skyrocketed being able to be a regular player. Yeah. He's coming in on coming into his own. And I think bring him back next season, he will be doing a lot of good work for us. I seen his goal at the weekend, Paul, and of course it was click baited to hell. <laughs> Mess esque Harvey Elliott goal. <laughs> Yeah, it reminded me a little bit more about pressure on the man's shoulders, like you know. Yeah, Um, I mean, yeah, it reminded me a little bit more of Mo than Messi, anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's this classic argument, right? I mean, it's always, do you want him out on loan, gaining confidence and game experience, or do you want him training with the first team and developing with your team? I always tend to think that less can go wrong if they're developing with the first team and if you put them out on loan, but that's just me. I mean, I don't see these players day in and day out um, at all. I mean, I think this is the best, best case scenario when you're having these conversations on whether you should recall somebody because they're killing it, right? Because yeah. a lot of times you're asking whether you should recall them because they're not getting the game time <laughs> or they're – just struggling to fit in with the locker room or the city or the culture, um, et cetera. So that's really good, good argument to have. I mean, right now I'd want him back for sure. I mean, we're sh- like bringing Origi off the bench, no offense to Origi, but like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like those are minutes that could go towards developing somebody like Harvey Elliott. Um, so, I mean, right now I say, yeah, but it's real tough to say. I mean, when we bring them back in January, it could look like a totally different team depending on where we're at with injuries or it could be even worse and we'd need them more. So I think it's just going to have to be a wait and see approach. Yeah. Um, well, we're almost uh, up on uh, – my pain pills are, are wearing off here. I'm lying on the ground. <laughs> I'm in absolute agony, lads. Um, but, uh, yeah, the uh, Champions League game uh, February 16th is sandwiched between Leicester away and Everton at home, which um, – is quite interesting and 
to say the least. And the March the 10th game is sandwiched in between Fulham home, which will be nice to welcome them back home uh, March 6th, see if we can get some retribution, and Wolves away. So quite quite a lot of time between now and then, but uh, just like all this season, it seems to have gone by in a, in a blur. So I'm sure we'll be there sooner rather than later. But... Um, as always, folks, if you're in need of more content, head on to americanscouser.com and, and, and give a, a good read of uh, lads like Paul, Paul Bickler here, who's done the um, player ratings and all the rest. Um, really good articles. But um, we're going to leave you this week, um, not with the turn on, tune in and cop out, but I'm going to leave you this week with uh, a quote from Gerard Houllier. Um, because for those of you who, who do remember, uh, the man actually died on the table. Um, Danny Murphy was telling about it uh, when we were playing Leeds at home in, was it 2000, I think? Maybe 2000? Yeah, I think it was 2000. Anyway, he died on the table and, re and was revived. But uh, I'm going to leave you with a quote from the man himself. Um, on his return to football after his heart attack, um, which if you, you go ahead and listen to Danny Murphy's interview because it's really good. But um, so this is Gerard Houllier. When people told me I had to stop being a manager, I told them I would rather stop breathing than give up football. So there we have it, folks. Uh, the man himself, uh, treble winning, six seasons, Liverpool manager. Um, Liverpool will always live long in that man's heart and he will for us as well. So you'll never walk alone. Um, lads, great to have you. Thanks for joining us, listeners. As always, a pleasure having you, and we'll see you on the other side. Take it easy, lads. Up the red. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.